Hey, Oliver. Good to see you again. Yeah. Truth be told, uh, we prepared a lot for this uh, last Friday, but we were focused more on food. Than <laughs> um, but Oliver, um, great to have you here, uh, first of all. And you've been in so many different roles at Camp Gemini. You've been in so many different geographies. Uh, you were the head of commercial. You were the CFO. You looked after M&A. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm missing a bunch. Um, and now you're the CEO of uh, of Cap uh, Business Services. How how all these roles and influences of living and you know working in different places is helping you be the be the chief executive officer? So first of all, great to be here. It's a great setup. So really, absolutely fantastic. So a little bit of my background: 22 years within Cap Gemini. Um, I've done a lot of things across finance for many years, uh, have been leading operations for Capgemini in Europe and have been leading operations for Capgemini in the Americas before taking over the business services leadership role in February 2022. So with all this background, I think there are two things which really helped me a lot. One is, and, and to be honest, when you look at the organization and the way we have been structured, um, our business services unit was run to be really honest, quite an isolation. For good reasons, because when we started all the businesses, it was more people process led, not so much technology, but things has evolved a lot. And what I've seen through the group is obviously all the capabilities we have, a lot of great connections, a lot of good resort that you need to operate. And I think when I took over in 2022, the first thing I said, I think to really accelerate is not operate as a standalone entity within the group, but bring the best of the group mm. to the market and to our clients. We have huge consulting, technology, data, engineering capabilities, bringing those together. And I think this is a big, big thing for me, which has been initiated in 2020, and we're going for it very, 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 very uh, actively. So bringing the assets together for our clients uh, through our operational transformation and run activities. And, and I think this is one of the, the key things to highlight. I mean, the other thing is when you operate um, and you have been CFO and you have been operations leader, you know a lot of the pain points. I think it was obviously specific to my industry, but I think you think about your value proposition. And we have worked a lot as a team to change, renew our value position, and have a big focus on business outcomes and value drivers for our clients. So renewing our portfolio and renewing a bit the way we bring the portfolio to the client is what happened over the last yeah, 15 months. Yeah, that sounds a, a lot like what we at HFS call the yes. one office, right? Because I think if you look at any large transformation, it's not just, you know, hey, I need some IT or I need some business process or I need some consulting or I need some engineering. I need all of the above. And I think uh, the trick is how do you bring everything together in a simple to understand and easy to consume way. Uh, and I think you guys are starting to call it the connected enterprise, right? Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit more about your your thinking behind this connected enterprise. And it just sounds so, so it's utopia for HFSers because we've been talking about the one office for like seven years now. <laughs> Exactly. So when, when I look at it, and I, I don't know for, for you in the room, but a lot of effort has gone into optimizing functions. And I think it was also in the leadership panel before that's been discussed. So optimizing a finance function, optimizing a procurement function, whatever. 
I think where we, where we were coming from, we started with frictionless enterprise. Because when we looked at where really the value is, is when you start to eliminate frictions. And frictions are often eliminated already because we made things digital in a function, within the function, but the frictions are all in the connection points. So when you connect uh, procurement, sales, CRM, uh, supply chain, and when, when you and your supplier organization, the ecosystem, there are most of the frictions happening. So when we think about connected enterprise, it's about end-to-end -end process transformation. It is really looking at value generation across those end-to-end -end processes and trying to operationalize them and getting the pain points removed from those. And obviously what is also the big, and data has been discussed a lot in these sessions before, data is the key point because one of the big frictions we see and the issues we see in really trading value is data is available. It's not necessarily broadly available across the enterprise and certainly not available in a consistent manner across functions. So creating these interfaces, making sure in a connected process end-to-end, -end, the same data is available at the same time for various functions helps obviously to drive the enterprise better, make better decisions, but also be faster, which is a key thing in, in the current world. Everything, everything has to go fast. Uh, so that's, that's a little bit about our connected enterprise. So again, bring it to life a little bit, Oliver, on what, because everybody keeps talking about end-to-end, -end, right? And, uh, you know, when, when I started my life as an analyst 20, 25 years ago, we all kept talking about accounts payable, receivables, you know, this and that. Then people started to talk about order to cash, procure to pay. But even order to cash is not end-to-end, -end, right? There's, there's stuff that happens before that and there's stuff that happens after that. Give, give us maybe a client example you, you or something. A yeah. couple of examples, but obviously in implementing those is a, is a challenge because it's not just a question for a service provider. It's a question for the enterprise and how enterprise, it starts with the operating model. If the operating model is not right, I think it's very difficult to implement. So we have some clients in the CP space or in the logistics space, I can give two examples, where we made some breakthrough together because it's happening as part of a, it's a partnership and it's an evolution. So on, on the CP side, it is really about connecting supply chain and finance, uh, where we drive basically end-to-end -end process from demand sensing, demand planning, material planning, logistics, uh, getting the stuff to the warehouse, dispatching, invoicing, collecting. Those things are what we call an end-to-end -end process in that area. Bringing those processes together and having teams, multidisciplinary teams working across those processes enables us to make things, and we come to the value part, enables us, for example, how we measure results there is not anymore what is the cost we have driven out through that end-to-end through that -end process. It is about how we have, for example, increased the dispatch rate in the warehouse, which is a very critical uh, KPI for a CP company. What is that driving? It is driving actually revenue growth because you are faster delivering the right good to the right people in the right, in the right area. It reduces cost because you have less logistics costs, you have less cost of your warehouse, you have less goods, better inventory, and it obviously also increases your employee experience, your customer experience, because the customer gets its goods faster and get the right goods. So that's one example where we drive revenue growth, where we drive cost reduction, working capital improvement, and customer experience through an end-to-end -end process. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great example of what Phil was talking earlier about, you know, moving from effort to uh, to performance to purpose right and and this you, you've talked to a, 
quite a bit about this value uh, framework that you're you're looking at. Yes. Are you are you hopeful that we'll we'll move from effort to performance and purpose with with this kind of value creation if we start to look at the connected enterprise? I think it, it starts with talking value, and I think everybody talks value, which is the first very important step. Obviously, again, it's a maturity uh, question. You start with an enterprise, you work not necessarily in a value-based, outcome-based contract, but you elevate the discussion by focusing on business value. And what we have tried to do now, uh, give you a bit of an internal thing, we have created something we call a value office, which is basically looking at the processes we drive for an enterprise, looking at those processes specifically by industry and creating value maps, okay, linked to end-to-end -end processes. And now we start to industrialize that approach through our value office, meaning not only having very precise and pre-configured solutions with the right value maps up front, but also what are the commercial aspects? Because the most difficult thing is how do I commercialize that? How do I get actually to some real skin in the game? Um, and, and that is for us the next frontier. So we want to embed outcome metrics in all of our contracts uh, going forward. We will probably not contractualize all of them. We will propose, we will not contractualize, but it's an evolution. And I give you another example because you can, you can go from effort-based into some first outcome-based things. We do, for example, for the logistics company I was talking about, we do cash collection as a service. So we don't anymore charge on FTEs, but we charge basically a service that integrates technology and we get remunerated based on the cash collected. So clearly it's on a macro level, a working capital related item. And one of the drivers to improve working capital is that debt reduction and better collection. So there is one step in moving into outcome based where you get remuneration basically based on what you delivered, tangible outcome, and not on SLA or yeah. the cost related to that service. Yeah. So, Oliver, that brings me to another question, and, and I think uh, we've talked about this, what we call the digital dichotomy, right? On, and on one hand, we've got this macroeconomic slowdown from inflation, recession, supply chain disruption. There's a war going on uh, in, in, in part of our world. But on the other hand, people are just impatient to get it done, right? People are in a big hurry uh, to innovate. Uh, and so there is this slowdown and the big hurry happening at the same time. Uh, and what do you advise to your clients who, you know, how do you balance your priorities and investments? Uh, because while we agree, you know, because in your value framework, you know, you need value, but you also need cost, right? And how do you do both? But I think it's, for me, the, the critical thing is, f first of all, I mean, everybody sees, we see somewhere slowdown, no, no doubt. It's not recession, but it's slowdown. And what does it mean? Everybody is a bit uncertain what will happen. We talked, uh, Sander said, uh, next three, four quarters will probably be flattish. Mm. Hopefully we don't come in a recession, but everybody is uncertain and decisions are slowing down. And every investment decision is thought through two, three, four times. And everybody's focusing on fast ROI, quick results. So what I advise in many cases, I think it's, first of all, when you, the, the, we are in a world where we call it a dual transition towards a digital and a sustainable world. And in that context, I think nobody can slow down. You have to drive your digital transformation in that context. 
And for me, the most important, when you look at the transformation, it is about enterprise transformation first. It is not about, think about how to optimize your functions. And when you think about enterprise transformation, you think about what is my operating model I need for the future? What are my processes? And how should I run my processes end to end? Uh, and behind that, maybe you think about what is the right technology and infrastructure to make it happen. But it starts with the operating model and with the process. And in many cases, when you go through that thought process, um, you think about where you invest and how quick you get return. And in my view is, when you think about it from the start, you have a lot of opportunities to gain early, get early benefits through a new process design, elimination of effort, standardization of processes, optimization of processes, uh, before you touch even the technology, hmm. okay? Then you think about where's my workload from, you can adjust. Then the other thing when it comes to technology, it is about everybody thinks about ERP transformation, the big SAP wave, the Oracle transformation. The question is when do you make, how quickly do you transform? And, and my view is there's a lot of things, best of pre-technology solutions that you can start to implement that relatively quickly with bring return on investment. And we think that the, the core of the enterprise, digital core, has to be kept very lean. And you can make the change of the digital core at the very late, at the later stage. You don't need to start with retransforming everything. You can start to create value, which is important for the enterprise, important for the employees, important for the customers, and at the very end, change your digital core. So there are different ways of approaching a transformation roadmap, but I think it's about going for operating model process, quick wins, fast implementation mm. of best of speed technology before you go into a huge program which uh, takes you years yeah. uh, where maybe the value comes in year three four five if it ever comes so look at look at one year programs look at agile programs yeah uh, so we've we've talked about cost we've talked about value i i all and, and you know through we're not even halfway done through the day and we've talked about so many different topics from data to chat gpt to generative ai etc but we've not talked so much about purpose right and and i think one of the uh, big bets that camp gemini is making is around sustainability and esg right and i yeah. think how and i think if you think about sustainability you know i don't think the question is why right now if anybody's asking you why why should we do sustainability then you know let's not have that conversation it's the question is about how right how do you drive this and you know people don't even know what's the bloody data <laughs> to collect uh, leave aside how do you how do you uh, drive your sustainability roadmap so how do you do it right how do you and and as a as a leader of a business services uh, organization how do you operationalize sustainability right how do you how do you make it real yeah i mean we will capitalize of on our operational knowledge because there's a lot of link between carbon accounting and what we do in EFRS and the normal accounting stuff. But let me say two, two things. One is how you position your enterprise because it's when you talk about purpose, it's also about your own purpose mm. and about your employees. And I think Capgemini, we, we put sustainability is on our CEO agenda. It's very high. So we have our own targets in terms of sustainability and we have a target, a public target to help our clients to reduce their CO2 emissions. 
So that is one. It's creating an environment where people understand sustainability will be more and more at the heart of what we do. It's basically embedded of what we do. When it comes to what we try to do, obviously we link it with our consulting practice. The most important thing for me is, and it's not a given, it's, I would say, make sure that you have, you get to full transparency on your scope one, two, and three emissions. I think it's relatively easy on scope one and two. It becomes much more difficult when you think about your supply chain uh, and the scope three emissions related to that. Um, so that, that is the first thing what we try to achieve. When doing that, we focus, we have just launched a new offering we call Carbon Accounting as a Service, which is, it's, it's basically industry specific, where we try to get accelerators and process models with technology embedded by, by industry to measure, capture first of all, identify the data sources, capture the data sources, get them into a reportable setup, and over, obviously over time, as we do business services and run services as well, optimize, automate the process, okay? But that's only the start because when you, what you need is you need, if you have the transparency, you can make your net zero agenda more relevant and more tangible because everybody has a net zero agenda probably in the room, but how to get there? And what we try to do is through this capturing, measuring, monitoring, we get things in a sustainable data hub, we call that. And from there, we have a sustainable data hub and management office, which is basically creating few insights on how to help clients to achieve their sustainable journey going forward. So that's a way of how to engage, create a baseline, and from there, operate new ideas. It made it be circular economy in supply chain, hmm. Made it be product design for our engineering units and so on and so forth. Do you see do you see a difference between the mindset here in the U.S. versus Europe on this topic? We just had a discussion. I think <laughs> there is a there is a, a great awareness in the U.S. There is maybe a little bit a little bit more uh, tangible work going on at the moment in Europe through regulations and so forth. But I think it may come anywhere and most of the companies operate globally. So I think it's not about, am I in the US, am I in Europe? I'm a global company. So I have to apply to certain regulations and I have to do it also because everybody, ESG and sustainability becomes a criteria when picking a company and a partner. So I think it's a very important topic on both sides. And let me add one thing because it's not just about how we measure, there's another thing we try to do, and I think it's very important for generally making progress. When we think about business outcomes, we have business outcomes which drive tangible results linked to profit and loss, but we have also outcomes which drive sustainability improvements and CO2 reductions. So when we think about supply chain, a business, tangible, very tangible outcomes through supply chain services will impact CO2, CO2 reduction going forward. So we make that another tangible outcome in our in our hmm. offerings. So look, as an analyst, I can keep asking you questions all day long. That's what I've been trained to do. But my team has told me to make sure <laughs> we have some audience questions. So uh, so this is your this is your chance. Ashwarya. Hello. Ashwarya, do you want to wait for Rohan to give you the mic?
I can hear you, but I'm not sure that. Oliver, I have a question in terms of, first of all, great insights in terms of uh, where the market is going and how we are creating the new value through the resources. Uh, how much of these insights are data driven and how much is of that based and how should I think as a leader of campaign? So how much of it is guesswork and how much of it is <laughs> Yeah, it becomes, I think, we said that all the morning, I think everybody said it, it has to become much more data-driven. So when once we have the data, and I think it's what we try to do through the end-to-end -end process is capture the data. Through digitalizing our operations, it's providing that data. So the next thing is creating the right analytics on top of that. And that is, we, we focus on sustainability analytics, supply chain analytics, and CFO analytics, because I think that's, for me, uh, the first insights we have to create. Um, having been a CFO, you know, th there's so much data available. And my ambition is bringing through analytics CFOs, the insights that operations can provide. And I think today it's under leveraged. So I'm not saying, I wouldn't say it's fully there, but it's clearly an ambition to significantly double down and start to utilize the data much better going forward. I wouldn't say the data not relevant. I think sometimes the data are not consistent, okay, which makes it painful. It takes you ages to reconcile things to get to the point where you can make the right decision. You lose two. I mean, many of you have experienced that as well. You get, you have a request. It takes you two weeks to get to the right answer, and you can make a decision. While your management is expecting to, you make a decision or at least to get insights related to the decision in the next hour. I think that's the main pain point for me. It is about, obviously, when we design processes, we have to make sure the data aspects are embedded into the design of the process, which makes it from, from, from the construction earlier. That's why I say, think about enterprise transformation to make it from the beginning right. Um, but I think the main pain point is inconsistency and reconciliation of all the things we have in enterprise. There's one more question that just popped in my head, um, Oliver. Do you think this industry needs to be rebranded? You, you know, do you think we we are underselling by calling it ITO or BPO, or because you know it just it just feels constrained um, with these twenty-year-old terms? We had a good discussion on that. I think <laughs> we call it business services. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it is about for me for me. The IT part, and we, our company is, we have deep IT roots, huh? yeah. clearly. But again, I think the question is not about IT. The question is how they use IT with the right process and the right operating model to create value. That's the point. So, I mean, that's why I try to put process transformation and operating model transformation at the front, supported with, with IT. Mm. So, I'm not sure if it's fully responding to your question on how should we call it. We call it business services. Yeah, I think business services is better because at least it's, you know, I, as I look at it, you guys, and not just Capgemini, but if you look at most leading service providers, you're providing the talent, you're providing the process or the domain capabilities, you're providing the technology, yeah. you're providing data, and you're helping change management, right? So why constrain ourselves by calling it the BPM or the BPO industry when it's sort of we are underselling our own value? Yeah. 
Um, it's certainly not only about outsourcing because yeah. uh, the outsourcing part is a second decision to be made. The first decision is about how do you organize yourself and what is your best-in-class process and what is your delivery model to decide at the end of the day in that context how you want to leverage a third-party provider. And I think it's great to leverage the ecosystem. It has been also said nobody can do everything and we are the same. We, we, we leverage our ecosystem. We work with Blackline, High Radio, with many companies uh, um, to really augment our services. Um, yeah. Any one final question? For Oliver, you know I have many, but <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I, I'm curious as, I, as I'm listening. I'm, I'm putting a couple things together. Phil had a uh, ChatGPT script that had kind of built-in continuous testing, like A/B testing, like through you know just voice. And then we talk about data a lot. And then during the the panel before. Uh, they mentioned the last mile. So I try to like build it to the end. I think what we're talking about from a, what your client wants, while we're emphasizing data, everything is going to become like a recommendation engine. Repetition. Right? A recommendation engine that while I'm making this decision, have I made it before, you know, and you mentioned synthetic data before, right? So how, how close are we or how close is your, are your clients to asking that either for finance or for operations or supply chain? You know, I'm really looking to, do I, start to veer left or do I veer right or who who do I select? That's that that's kind of where all this, you know, is uh, driving toward. How how close are I think because we're not going to clean up all the data, right? It's there's always going to be some variance in there. I think in some areas we are pretty close, I think, in making I mean it's not for me it's not about productivity, it's more about the insights being supply chain is a great example. When you do planning and you have multiple planning systems and you start to integrate those and, try and, and have right set of data, applying AI and machine learning to that and create insights, it's, I think we are very close. And we have some very good examples where you can reduce, you can, we, have, we have consolidated uh, planning data across seven planning engines um, and reduced, I think it was somewhere from a couple of days creating the plan for the future into an hour. Okay, by increasing in the same time the, the data quality uh, and the reliability of the forecast. So I think it's happening already. And by the way, we have contracts where AI has been embedded three years ago in what we do from an AP point of view. It's not totally new. Huh? So there are already good examples. I think it's just now. I think it, it can go to the next level because more and more data is available and technology is, 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 is just much more consumable and, and scalable in that area. Fantastic, Oliver. We've been shown the red light, which means we need to go. But thank you so much. That thank was you. It was a wonderful. Pleasure. Thank you, everybody.